Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Bubble. You may remember recently we did a video all about small and sustainable and exciting Irish craft breweries in association with uh, the Irish Food Board, Bod Beer. Uh, And as part of that that, uh, collaboration deal, we said we'd do a podcast with them. So with one of the breweries that were in the podcast and we got to choose which and we decided to go for Ballykill Cavern, who were not only from a flavour standpoint for us, probably the standouts, but also from the story that they had so we chatted to david who was the guy in that video if you haven't seen it uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to this um but david is a 13th generation was it rob 13th generation farmer he is old <laughs> <laughs> no he's not that old but he's um yeah been on the family farm for 13 generations and uh he started to get a bit worried that it could be the last generation just with everything that's going on, um, both economically and uh, with climate change and things like that. So he had the brainwave idea of setting up a brewery, which is We've all had that brainwave idea at some point, and most of us (laughs) dismiss it. But uh, yeah, David's gone ahead, and it's it's a really interesting podcast um, because we never really think about beer as an agricultural product. We don't think about the farming kind of element so it was great to chat through that with david and see what happens before you even get to the brewery which is where we kind of generally cover david joined us from the middle of ireland on a very very wet monday afternoon so let's go over to david from ballycle cabin let's talk about beer johnny let's talk about avb let's talk about imperial stouts and imbibiots of wicked weed let's talk about beer let's talk about beer Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about beer. So, David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on The Bubble. No problem at all. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's super exciting, you know, to, to speak to a farmer for the first time, because I think a lot of the time in craft beer, we forget that beer is kind of a, an agricultural product. It involves lots of, you know, pretty intensively farmed uh, farm crops. So I'd love to Absolutely. start just by asking you about about your amazing family farm because you've your family's been there for centuries yeah we have yeah i mean like i, I suppose i'm very lucky because it, it's been here in the family for such a long time and it, you know it is actually a privilege it, it's a bit of a um you know it you'd be a bit worried about trying to look after it as well but it is definitely a privilege to be here as well it's 1639 we moved here so i'm 13th generation um at the farm and it's it's in the midlands of ireland we're about 50 miles away from dublin and it's really kind of prime arable country so the main crops that we've always grown here have been malting barley we do a little bit of rotation with some oats 
carrots or some peas or something like that as well. Uh, but it's very much uh, malting barley country, partly because of the soil. So it's really light soils here, which means we can get the crops sown earlier in the year than, than maybe you could on a heavier soil. Um, and just uh, the climate as well, it's, you know, we tend not to get, although we've been having some late frosts this year, which haven't done the crop any good, but generally, you know, because of where we are in the world, we get um, nice sort of wet winters to get the, the moisture into the soil. And then, you know, the spring dries up pretty quickly and, and then we can get the crop in and get it away. And is it barley that you're mostly growing there and has that always been the case yeah it is now certainly since i took over um when i took over it, it was about 70 percent malting barley in terms of what we were growing and you know it was kind of the most that we could get away with while allowing ourselves a little bit of rotation as well because the ground does need a different crop in every so often just to make sure that you don't you know if you have a monoculture of barley all the time you're going to get diseases that are going to come through um it doesn't do the soil any good to have one crop all the time so you know 70 percent meant that we could rotate about a third of the crop every year with something completely different uh, and then go back to malting barley the following year but i think again part of the reason is because there's only two big malting um sites in ireland and the biggest one is about six miles away from here so it made sense for you know probably three or four generations ago it would have made sense for people to start growing malting barley here because there's there's a market very close to here um and and as i say it just it happens to suit the type of soil that we have is the soil that's the thing that really dictates what your farm produces? Oh, it is. Yeah, I mean, and I think people are coming around to that now. I mean, it wasn't people didn't really talk about soil when I took over, but really now, just it doesn't matter what type of farming you're in. What you're really doing is farming the soil. You're trying to keep the soil healthy and trying to keep the soil, you know, with the right nutrients, the right amount of moisture, and things like that in it. And then, as you say, yeah, it's very much depending on what type of soil you have, then you can work out what the best thing to put into it. Um, arguably what this farm is best for is actually grass um, but that means having animals and that means getting up at three o'clock in the morning to calve cows and things like that and I decided actually I'm not willing to do that so um, when I when I took over from my father the the farm here was probably what was it I suppose about 30 percent grassland and as much of that as I could plow up and put crops back into is is what I did but there's some fields that just didn't suit and we've still got them here um, but you know it's we we could grow winter wheat here if we had heavier soil if we had more nutrient rich soil and heavier soil and winter wheat is probably a higher yielding crop in terms of the of the amount of of grain you'd get per sorry per hectare off it um, and that means that generally you're going to get paid more for a hectare's worth or an acre's worth of of winter wheat compared to malting barley but we just can't grow it here the soil just isn't right for it so that's why we've um, I suppose historically that's why we've grown malting barley and now obviously we have a use for it as well so that's why we'll stay growing it for now you sort of alluded to it there that um, in the research we've done in, in preparation for this and, and the video that we did for Craft Beer Channel, it was sort of implied that part of the reason you've put a brewery in is because it's quite hard to reliably be profitable as, as a farmer in sort of modern uh, UK and, and Irish farming or yeah, European I mean, farming. I think in, in Ireland at the minute, it has to be said, like dairy farming is going well and lots of people are expanding into dairy farming um, and that's really the only show in town in terms of profitability like if you're looking at farming at a business which not enough of us do um you know i think historically if your father was a farmer uh, you took over the farm and that was kind of the way it works and and people sort of it's it's a family thing and it's, it's keeping the land going it's keeping the land in the family and everything else which is exactly what we're trying to do here as well but you know if you're looking at it purely as a business dairy is probably the only way to go in ireland um but 
again, I'm not willing to get up at four o'clock in the morning every morning to go out milking cows. So, um, and, and what I like actually about tillage farming is there's the variability in it. So, you know, in the spring, you're planting the crops in the, in the sort of summertime, you're looking after them. The autumn time you're harvesting in the winter, you're looking after the fields. You're actually, we spend about five months of the year just trying to keep the fields right, keep the soils right by putting in what we call cover crops. Um, so you put in a different crop after the malting barley that keeps the, you know, keeps the soil um fauna and flora as they call it so that like the, the bugs in the soil alive and um, keep the earthworms alive keep the drainage going and then come back in the following spring with uh, with the malting barley crop again so there's great you know it, it's something different every day whereas to me if you're out milking cows every day that's pretty much the same job um 365 <laughs> days a year so um with, with, with you know great respect to my friends who are dairy farmers but but it's not the lifestyle that i kind of was looking for um, but the problem with tillage farming is is the profitability in it and the variability in it. So we've had some fantastic years where the you never you never get it where the yield is great and the price is great. It just doesn't work like that um, because it's it's a supply and demand thing. So if the yield is really high, the price drops because there's enough of it on the market that the price will come down. But then at the same stage, if the yield drops there's going to be another part of the world somewhere that's grown enough malting barley to flood the market. So you never really get compensation on the price if the yield goes down. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's just a combination of trying to get the weather right, trying to get, um, you know, get all the other things that we need to get to go in our favor to grow good malting barley, trying to get them to happen um, all at the same time is, is tricky. Is, is weather what you're sort of most dependent on then to get that? Yeah, yield? it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So it's so, if you remember when it was, I think it was 2018, we had what we call the beast from the east. So this huge snowstorm that came in pretty much at the same time as we would have liked to have been planting our barley. So instead of being able to plant our barley, we were under maybe four feet of snow. Um, so, and that took, that took maybe five weeks to kind of, for all that moisture to get away. So we need the field dry enough that we can actually get the machinery in and get the, the barley planted. Um, and then we got the double whammy of we got a drought later on in the year. So we went from too much moisture and obviously too much snow, but too much moisture early on in the year. And then we got nothing for kind of June and July. So the plants went in late um, and barley is kind of genetically set up that it knows it's going to be harvested on the 10th of August, give or take. So regardless of when you plant it, it genetically knows that it has to get itself ready for harvest by the 10th of August. Um, so it'll fly through sort of putting its roots down, getting its leaves out, starting to what they call stem extension, where it actually starts to come up out of the ground. Um, and if you get it sown early, it is, all, it is more time to do that. So it can get its roots down further, which means it can pull up more moisture and more nutrients. If you get a year like 2018, it's, um, you know, the roots aren't there. It's shallow roots. So then when you do get a drought, it can't pick the moisture up. Um, and you know it's factors like that and you've no control over it I mean I sit as I say watching like three or four different weather apps and then I, I try and pick the one that I like you know the look of the most <laughs> but unfortunately it doesn't work like that the weather does what it wants to do so uh, I'll take that to, weather please yeah because <laughs> you can get wildly different forecasts it's great you know you can look on I mean say simple things like you look on the BBC site and you look on the, on the Irish Met site and the, and the British Met site and they'll give you three different forecasts so you can kind of pick and choose what you want but unfortunately the, the weather like you, you can look outside and uh, it's raining and you look on the weather app it says it's not raining so who do you believe is it the fact that you're getting wet when you're outside or the fact that the weather app says it's not raining <laughs> um but you know if you, you get sort of particularly extremes so if you get four or five weeks with not much rainfall that's a trouble that's a problem for us because the barley gets stressed if it gets stressed it's going to reduce its yield so a barley plant will produce one main stem and maybe three or four side stems if it gets under pressure it will kill off 
some of those side stems and just try and keep one main shoot alive. Because again, genetically, it's set up to produce grains, as many grains as it can. But if it's under pressure, it knows it's not going to be able to do that. So it'll go back down to producing just one main stem. So that means our yield is down maybe 30 or 40% straight away because all those side shoots aren't there. And that's what happened last year because, again, we had a big drought last year. And it's what happened three years ago because of the, of the drought as well. So you said that supply and demand really dictate the value of the, of the crop. So in 2018, was the, the price of the crop then very high because the yield was so poor? No, because somewhere in the world, and I couldn't even tell you where it was, maybe the south of France or somewhere like that, even actually, I tell you, the south of Ireland, um, so we're in about the, we're about the Midlands of Ireland. So there was a bit down in the south coast that got rain when we didn't. So the quality of the barley, and again, if the yield is down, the protein levels are up because um, it's basically, protein is based on how much nitrogen there is in the field. So if you have less yield, there's more nitrogen in the field going up into those fewer amounts of grains. And protein level is the main thing that a barley that barley is going to fail for on specification going in for either brewing or distilling so basically if it's too high the maltsters won't take it because the breweries won't accept it and it's but like i mean now as a brewer i can fully understand that when you're a, a barley farmer you've spent at least seven months getting your barley ready for for going in and then they reject it because the protein's too high and you really have no idea why they're sending away your, your what looks like perfectly lovely barley um but the because the protein level is too high they won't accept it yeah um, we we did a, a tour of um munson's malt uh up in north oh yeah lovely um and it was remarkable the amount of testing so the lorries come in and it's tested yeah. on five or six different machines things are plunged in and pulled out before you know they'll say yeah we'll We'll take it. And that's probably yeah. even before maybe they look at the proteins. But it's it must be a nightmare for a farmer to have had a really unreliable year. And then, you know, what, what do you do with that barley if it's rejected? Yeah, well, I mean, oh, I mean, the answer to that is it goes for feed barley. So it's going to pigs or it's going to, you know, instead of instead of making lovely beer, um, it's going off to feed pigs. And OK, fair enough, you get some bacon out of it at the end of it. But it's still not the same for us. And, you know, financially, it's a bit of a disaster because generally there's going to be a price difference of maybe 30 or 40 euro a ton um, between feed barley and malting barley. So if all your barley gets rejected, that's a huge loss over the course of the, of the whole farm. Mm. And it, it's always the worst about 40 minutes when the lorry goes out, it takes 15 minutes to get to the malting plant. And then it takes about 25, 30 minutes to get um, tested. So you're sitting there watching the phone. If the phone doesn't ring, that's fine. That's good news. It's got through. And then the lorry turns up again, 30 minutes later but you know if it rings there's been a problem with it um and it's 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 mainly protein um they'll test it for germination as well which is basically has it got any diseases that are going to stop it germinating um in in a really wet year it could actually germinate in the field and again obviously for malting they have to germinate it as part of the process so if it's already germinated it's no use to them so that's that's another thing it'll fail on but generally it's it's the protein level and it's a little bit of of crystal ball because the as I say, the protein level depends on the nitrogen. We would put a certain amount of fertilizer on it, but you need to know what it's going to do in June um, before you put the fertilizer on in April. Um, because if you know you're going to get a drought in June, you put on less fertilizer in April. If you don't know that, you put on the normal amount, and then you're, you're as I say, you're relying on the weather two months down the line. Um, and given that we can't forecast it tomorrow um, with any accuracy, there's no way you can guess what it's <laughs> going to do in the summer. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the frustrations of it. I mean, it's great when it all comes together; it's fantastic. You know, you produce a lovely crop. Um, for us, obviously, in the brewery, we're going to get that back and brew with it. But it is frustrating when you put in, you know, you've done the best you can, and then the weather turns against you, and there's nothing. I mean, you know, looking at it rationally, there's nothing you can do about it. But it's still, it's 
you know, it, it's frustrating would be the polite way to put it. Um, <laughs> that, that it's not gone to plan. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just farming. Has it got worse as a result of global warming? Because you mentioned extremes earlier and that's, you know, what we really talk about, you know, the world as a whole is heating up, but specifically, yeah. particularly our latitudes, it's, it's more extreme weather events. I, I mean, I have to say it, it does seem to be going that way. So when I started farming the first five or six years, I know it's a small timescale, but the first five or six years, you got normal weather. So you'd get a bit of rain, you get a bit of sunshine, you get a bit of rain again. That's fine. What we seem to have had now over the last, say, 10 years is really extreme periods of, say, rain at harvest time. So you would get maybe four or five weeks where it pretty much rains the whole time. Um, and at harvest time, that, that's that's exactly what you don't want because you need to get the grain dry to be able to actually harvest it in the first place. And then again, it affects the quality. Like if the grain is damp, it's more likely to pick up molds or diseases or other things that, that you don't want in, in the barley and then in the malt. Um, and then the three out of the last four years, we've had extended periods with no rain at all, um, which again, at the wrong time of year is a disaster. Like if we if we'd got the weather in harvest time that we got in May and June last year, we'd been delighted with ourselves because it was it was about five weeks of hot weather, um, you know, dry weather. And that's exactly what we're looking for in August. But it's definitely not what we're looking for in May and June. So again, like it'd be lovely. It'd be lovely to be able to order up weather and, you know, and, and I get very unpopular because, you know, if it's if it's lovely and sunny outside and I'm looking for 10 mils of rain, it, it doesn't go down well with anybody. But, <laughs> and you're out there I, doing a rain dance. <laughs> yeah, oh, I am. I mean, and I'm quite happy for it to fall between midnight and, and 6 a.m. in the morning and then for a lovely, hot, sunny day afterwards, because that's perfect. You get a bit of moisture and then you get a bit of heat and a bit of sunshine. That's exactly what the barley is looking for. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a thing between what my wife and kids are looking for and what the barley is looking for. And they generally, apart from in August, they generally don't coincide very well with each other. Who's more important, though? <laughs> well, <laughs> financially speaking, you know, <laughs> the barley. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, the family is more important than the barley. Yeah, you do need to answer yeah, that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You can edit that bit out. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. Been drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. Drinking it for years. You know, I, I heard they recently decided to add more hops. So tell me about barley as as a crop. Um, you know, we know that obviously it's the main main ingredient in beer. Is is there a specific reason why people love using barley for beer? I think, well, for a start, it's just, it's, it's a great crop. I mean, you have to say it, it's a really versatile crop. It'll grow. It started off growing in the, in the Middle East and it grows up here. It'll grow in Canada. It'll grow all sorts of places. It's, it's probably not quite as hardy as wheat, but it does grow in probably more areas than wheat. Like you, you, wheat, as I say, we can't grow wheat here, certainly with any sort of um, regularity of getting decent yield out of it, but we're quite happy growing barley here. Um, and I think then probably in terms of brewing with it, it's just the accessibility of the enzymes that are in it that are going to convert the starch into sugar and the fact that it's, it's just so good at storing up starch, which is really, I mean, from its point of view, it's, it's trying to create a seed that's going to go back into the ground and generate new barley. It, it, it doesn't really know the fact that it's going to be stuck into a germination plant in a, in a maltings and, and converted into beer. But, you know, that's, that's what it does. It, it creates all this starch that we're able to use to convert to sugar and it has the enzymes already in it. Like it's a perfect package for us going into the brewery because it has everything that we need um, the, within the, you know, within each individual uh, barley grain for us to, to use in the brewery. 
so then let t- tell me tell me about the brewery so you would you sort of implied that it's because you couldn't make enough reliable profit as a farmer brewing was the answer which i think will make a lot of brewers <laughs> scratch their head saying you've, you've got into the wrong game if you want reliable income <laughs> it's uh, yeah it's a bit naive maybe but uh but yeah it is i mean it, it's uh, it's about getting a little bit more control so uh, as i say i don't i never feel really that we're in full control when we're farming because you're relying on policy decisions you're relying on weather and everything else so but it's also the fact that I do feel that we grow really good malting barley here. I mean, you know, in the area as a whole and on this farm in particular, we do grow decent malting barley here. And when I started, it was a case of uh, we grow the barley, we sell it to the malsters, we never see it again. We never really hear what happens to it. We're aware that it probably goes up to James's Gate. It's probably being used to make Guinness. But you never really had a, you didn't really have the satisfaction of seeing it right the way through to the end product. You know, you grew it, you sold it. That was about it. So we were, I suppose we were looking for something to diversify the farm with because because it's been in the family for so long and, and in a way actually it doesn't matter like i mean any farmer anywhere in the world is is trying to look after their farm and and make it you know a viable financial option and maybe pass it on to someone else and, and that's what we're trying to do here but we had all these old stone buildings that are from the 1780s they were you know they were built for horses and carts and they're completely if you try and get a tractor into them you're not going to do you're not going to get on very well with it so we had all the buildings there. We had the malting barley. I had the sort of the interest in terms of brewing. I mean, I'd been home brewing pretty much since I came back and took over the farm. Um, and I suppose for all of those reasons, that's why that's why we decided to go with uh, with the brewery. And there's a visitor center that that we're building at the minute that will be added onto it. But obviously, the brewery is the main focus of what we're doing here because the visitor center is kind of an add-on to the fact that we're making the beers here, and you know, people can come in and see them and taste them. But you have to have the the brewery there to do all that. Did the interest in beer just sort of come from the fact you were selling the breweries or selling, yeah. you know, your multi breweries? Is that is that where it came from or was it there is. another sort of journey into it? No, I think I think it was very much that it was, is, as I say, it was the fact that we were growing the malt in barley here. And, um, you know, it was just it was I wanted to be able to see what happened to our barley after it left here. So I got interested in malting. I got interested in brewing. Um, I, I did my general certificate, the, the IBD exams in, in malting and brewing, because for me, it was interesting to see getting the getting it from barley into malt that was interesting for me and then getting it from malt into beer um and listen i mean obviously home brewing is is good fun as well and and to be able to try out different recipes and try out different malts and, and different hops and everything else um was something that i just i found interesting um and that's but that is really the main reason it's because it's been the most important crop that we've grown on this farm for four generations so um to actually find out a little bit more about it and to be able to, to take it on to the next stage that was that was the interest so is it you that's that's completely running those operations or have you brought in brewers to work with you or well how how big exactly is the brewery before <laughs> it's 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 uh yeah it's it's not big i mean it's it's a 10 hectoliter brewery so you know the batch size is a thousand liters uh we have seven fermenter spaces there so and, and again we're we're slightly restricted by the building that it's going into which it used to be the grain store on the farm so it was where you know this is this is back in the days when you'd go out with a scythe and you'd, you'd cut them uh cut the grain on the on the sheaf uh, and bring it in and then you'd thrash it over the winter so you'd separate out the straw from the the grain over the winter and then store it over the winter so that's what the building was used for but it had been idle for probably 70 or 80 years um but that that's where the brewery is and so it's it's a re- it's a small building and it's a small brewery 
Um, no, we have. Um, I started off doing everything. So I was um, head brewer and um, you know marketing and finance and everything else and farming and doing a few other things as well. And decided very quickly that there was no way I was going to manage all that. So uh, got in a, a head brewer. He was actually an ex um, ex Guinness brewer. He was um, took early retirement out of James's Gate, and uh, he came down and helped set up the brewery. Uh, we took on another um, another guy in. When was it? It was early 2018. It was actually before the brewery was in place. I think it was early 2018. Um, Joe came in to join us. Um, very enthusiastic home brewer. Very, very good home brewer. And um, he's now he's now our head brewer. Our original head brewer has retired. So Joe took over only a couple of months ago and uh, and is running the brewery down there now, which is like to be to me. He's a much better brewer than I am, so he's much better off leaving him to do the the brewing side of things, and then I'm still kind of running everything else on on um, you know. The, behind the scenes I suppose in a way um, I do the, I do what for me is the interesting bit of the brewing so I mash in in the mornings um, so I'm taking my own barley and, and adding it to our own water and, and bring it into the mash tun and then Joe takes over from sort of mid mid morning and then t- uh, takes it through to the finish so when when we tried all of the beers uh, for the for the craft beer channel video um, what we talked about and what really impressed me was uh, 100% it was the malt character of, of, of a lot of the beers, and in particular the brown ale that we had, the American brown, Great. which I thought was just stellar. Brilliant. Um, Great. Yeah, I'm delighted to hear that because it is, like for me, it's important. I mean, I know, as I say, like obviously there's a lot of focus on hops in, in craft brewing. For me as a barley grower, it's really important that you can taste the barley. Like even in the IPAs um, and, and the hoppy beers, I'd still like you to, to get a hint at least of the, of the malt that's sitting there in behind it. And certainly on the likes of, you know, the pale ale, the brown ale in particular, um, where you're getting that lovely malty flavors. Um, you know, that for me, that's important that you can, you know, again, to tie it back to the farm and, and all the effort that's actually put into growing the barley in the first place and then brewing with it that you can get those flavors. This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. These three festivals are the highlights of my events calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. What was that conversation like? So you, you went to the local, uh, the maltings and sort of said, you know, I'm going to sell you this barley and I want to buy some back. Is, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny now because, I mean, I go in there and they sort of look at me and they say, now, are you here as a customer or are you here as a supplier? So, you know, if I'm here as a customer in the brewery, they have to be nice to me. If I'm there as a farmer, they can throw me out again. So I mean, like, uh, there's different doors you go through. Oh, pretty much. It's a yeah, lovely yeah, exactly. lounge. And- <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah all, the, uh, all the leather couches are all in the, um, uh, in the customer <laughs> section. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, they, we're, we're lucky in a way because um, they had the system set up for, in particular for Waterford Distillery. So we, we're actually now at the stage, we're growing basically two different types of bar- barley. We grow distilling barley for Waterford Distillery and we grow our, our own brewing barley. But they had a system set up. So they have their big malting facility. Then they have what they call their Bobie plant. So it's, it's a smaller 
malting plant. And then they have a setup where they can store individual farms of barley um, in, in one of their warehouses. They can take that out and put it through as a distinct batch. So for me, that's the important bit that they can put through my barley. They malt it all. It's a bigger batch than we're going to use in a year. So to be fair, they're, they're good to us. You know, they will malt the whole lot of it. We buy back. So I, as a farmer, sell them the, the barley. They malt it. The brewing company buys back what we think we're going to use for the year. And that's, that's another you know, guessing game to a certain extent, how much malt we're going to use for the next 12 months. Um, and then they blend in the, the, the excess with their, their standard malt and, and that goes probably off, off to James's gate again. So how much, I mean, this might be a really difficult question, but, you know, is, is it possible once it's been through the malting process and the kilning process, you know, can, can you recognize your, ro- your own malt? Is, is there a characteristic to it? Um, either from the perspective or the flavour it foams madly in the kettle and we've never worked out why it does that as opposed to any other type of malt which wouldn't do that Um, I think you know I'd love to tell you that I can tell the taste I'm I'm not the most sensory person in the team um, in terms of of being able to tell flavours but you'd love to think that there must be this terroir there must be something there that we'd be able to pick out from our beers as opposed to to other beers Um, I, I think probably in something maybe like the the brown ale, something that's got it's all about malt, and even the red ale, something like that. You know, you'd love to think that you can pick out something in that. Once you start adding the hops in on top of it, it probably does dilute that um, you know that that real malty sensation. Um, it's not something to be fair. I don't think I'm really going to be able to pick it out. For me, it's it's it is about the you know the sustainability aspect of it as well. That the the barley's grown here, it's going six miles up the road to get malted, and we're getting it back again. Um, for me, if we're making Irish beer, we need we should be making it out of Irish malt. Um, you know, there's lots of other places that produce really good malts all over the world. And for me, I'd love to see. I'd, I'd prefer if Belgian breweries were using Belgian malt and English breweries were using English malts, just because again, it ties it back to the you know the farms that that these um, these products are, are produced on. And are you um, sort of making efforts? I saw on the website to go more. Um organic and sort of pesticide free is that a big big movement for you at the moment we we're we're still farming what we'd call conventionally so we're not um you know we're still using herbicides to to get weed get rid of weeds we're still using preventative fungicides um so we'd, we'd spray on a low rate of a fungicide just to stop any um any disease getting into the crop um if we're going organic we have to go fully organic um so we'd have to get organic hops in from somewhere we'd have to obviously use our own organic barley it's not you can't really go sort of 50 50 because you need a separate combine you need separate sheds and everything in the organic supply chain has to be completely just for that supply chain um we have done things like so we're not using insecticides anymore we've we've made that decision about five or six years it's probably longer than that actually maybe 10 years ago that we're not going to use insecticides on the crops anymore um what you'd use them for is to kill out aphids, which bring disease into the crop. But actually, there's no such thing as an aphicide. You can't just kill aphids. Anything that you spray is going to kill all insects, and including the insects that are going to actually eat the aphids. So we are basically taking our chances that that the you know all the insects that are around that are actually going to take out the aphids are going to do their job. Um, and we've been fine so far. We haven't had any problems with with diseases coming into the into the barley. So that's kind of where we're focusing on at the minute. It's not to say we wouldn't do it. Um, the yields, you'd, you'd have to be, from a financial point of view, you would have to be convinced that you're going to get a much better return for it because the yield is probably going to drop off by, at a guess, 40% straight away. So you're going to have to get paid 
obviously the, the difference if you if you're deciding from a purely financial point of view that it's it's worthwhile and then are people going to pay say for an organic beer are people going to pay 40 or 50 percent more for an organic beer compared to non-organic beer maybe they would and but that's a, a a bit of research you'd have to do beforehand i think yeah definitely i mean um so at cave direct we've got 300 odd beers on our list so there's, there's a lot to choose from there and there's so yeah, few yeah. that are actually um organic sure. and it, you know, and I think you're right. I don't think people are willing to pay the extra for it. Um, you know, you know what I found, what I found, I think maybe over the last few years is there was a, there was a sort of move towards organic. I think maybe five or six years ago, to me, and I, I'm not an organic farmer, so I'm maybe not the best person to ask. But to me, it seems like that's dropped away slightly, and people are now more focused on local food and local drinks and sustainability and. I mean, I know, okay, so obviously you would have to think that organic farming is probably more sustainable long-term than, than blasting fungicides and chemicals at, at, um, at crops. We would very much be looking at reducing as much as physically possible the, the non-organic components that we're putting out on crops. But for me, I'm seeing more interest in the fact that it's coming from a specific area and people are buying, buying locally and supporting local, small local producers. That, to me, seems to be where the focus has been. That, that was going to be my, my next question. It's how much of a, a benefit just from a purely like marketing and sales perspective is being able to say, you know, th- this is, this is local grain um, and, and locally brewed. Is that an extra element on top of the sort of the ideas of craft? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, and particularly, I have to say, we'd find for export. Now, we're only like, we're only going in our own brewery for whatever it is, two and a half years. But we are now getting to the stage where we're, we're really we, we do need to start exporting and we are starting to export. And that's really part of the story that people actually do engage with. You know, people really like the fact that the barley is grown here. We are using our own well water as well um, because we, 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 well, we don't have a mains water supply. We are, we're not that remote, um, but we're far enough away from civilization that we don't have a mains water supply. So we're using our own well water. We're, then we have to collect all the, the washings out of the brewery and all the, the spent grains and everything like that. And then we're spreading them back onto the barley fields again. So it's, you know, just to, there's not a lot of nutrient in them, but it's better than nothing. Um, and it's again, just trying to get organic matter back into the soils, trying to keep the soils as healthy as possible. So it's, you know, it's a nice sort of circular, um, environmentally sustainable way of doing it. Um, and that is definitely, you know, that does resonate with people. People do like that. You mentioned in the video that you put put into our craft beer channel video that you've also got a beer where you do use local hops as well. So everything comes yes. from within a certain. Can you tell me about that beer? Yeah, or... it's 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 a one off. I mean, we um, Ireland used to grow quite a, a decent amount of hops. It was it was in Kilkenny, which is about maybe what 30, 40 miles from here. Um, we set up. I mean, it, it is a tiny hop garden, but it's it's enough that we can do one beer a year where it's all our own water, all our own barley and all our own hops. Um, and what we did was we've, we basically like, it's so small, it's completely unmechanized. So what we do is we actually, every year we get 30 or 40 people out. Um, we cut the, the hop vines down and then people pick the hops um, on the, on the ground, you know, put them into the, the different buckets, depending on what varieties they are. And uh, then we just do a big barbecue for them afterwards. So it's, it's uh, slave labor or cheap labor, I suppose. <laughs> um, the, but they, you know, they get, they get fed afterwards. And um, it was in terms of marketing, it's the best thing I've ever done because I put it up, I think it's probably three years ago, four years ago when we did it first and we were absolutely inundated with like requests for people to go actually i'll tell you what we gave away free beer the first year that was the, that was the mistake <laughs> hey, that man, that'll get them. <laughs> so, that was it. 
but uh, we didn't make that mistake again but still people keep coming back you know we've had people here every year uh, which is great like it, it's 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 just a lovely day out and we've been very lucky with the weather because it's usually end september early october you know you could get a pretty horrific day but we've been very lucky with it and um, it's again it, for me that's that's one of my favorite beers of the year because of the fact that it's it's all within i mean i suppose it's 500 meters of the brewery um that all the ingredients are coming from so you know in terms of of locally produced beers from locally produced ingredients that that to me is is as good as we can get and how how do you process those hops is it a wet hot beer or is it dry <laughs> it's very much yeah it is very much a wet hot beer like it's so it tends to be on a sunday and um so we start up the the brewing process at eight o'clock in the morning we the pickers have are told that they have to have the hops ready by one o'clock so yeah uh, we'd usually start it, it's like we don't want to we don't want to drive them too hard so usually they start around half 10 or something like that a couple of hours of picking and yeah literally just um we we do split them and i don't know we, we've still never decided whether we need to split them or not so they're coming off in cones obviously we tend to then just split the cones in half just to try and make sure that we can get the the warm water in around it and, and get everything out that we need to uh, but then just huge muslin bags so my wife spends about a week beforehand sewing muslin bags that we can put them in because it would completely clog up the equipment like if we put them in loose there'd be hops everywhere like the, the whirlpool would just get completely clogged up so we, we put them in in muslin bags and and just let let everything circulate around and so far so good we've never burst a bag yet but um that's always the danger <laughs> it could happen yeah because you have to put huge volumes of of wet hops into a beer because yeah you know, they're not dried and, and concentrated so i guess it, it's a hugely inefficient <laughs> oh, it's way massively brewing, inefficient but... <laughs> it's, and i mean to be fair like the amount of effort that goes into actually growing the hops in the first place is is massively inefficient i mean it's we've taken over we had an old vegetable garden here which again i just i didn't have time to look after properly so we've converted that into the hop garden now um but there's like there's actually a lot of work involved in um, you know, setting up the, the trellises, getting all the, the ropes down, uh, making sure that the hops are climbing them, making sure the slugs aren't getting them, keeping them, you know, we put on um, uh, fertilizer um, pellets, so it's organic fertilizer pellets. The hops actually are organically produced. We don't put any um, fungicides or, or anything on that um, and no artificial fertilizer on it as well. But the amount of work actually involved in getting the hops ready is, is completely financially um inefficient but it's 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 nice i mean it's it's kind of a hobby i suppose in a way it, it is actually at that scale that it is it is hobby farming um but again when you've got irish there's not that many irish hop gardens left and uh, to be able to have one here is great and what, what do they have you... um sorry johnny do they have like a, a specific flavor profile because you know the way if you go to west coast of america there's very distinct yeah. or you've got funnels yeah, yeah. or goldings i think i mean they're very they are subtle i mean it's I'd say like we'd pick maybe what you might pick 20 kilos worth of hops and you put them in you think oh 20 kilos of hops and a thousand liters of beer that's pretty good but they're 80 percent moisture so you're only really putting in about four kilos of hops and they're all subtle like they're it's it's actually a pretty malty beer every year despite the fact that we're you know we're, we're making a big deal about the fact that it's our own hops but actually it's still really you're going to get the malt out of it rather than the, the hop flavor out of it but it does give you it does give you enough bitterness. It gives you enough of a little, um, there's a little bit of citrusy in it because we have some Cascade in there, but it's it's Irish Cascade as opposed to, you know, um, Oregon Cascade or, or, you know, Northwest American Cascade. And it's not, it's never going to be the same. Um, it, it tends to be traditional varieties. So we grow Fuggles, Golding, Northern Brewer, Willamette. Um, we have we have Centennial in now, which I'm quite excited about. That should be a nice one. Um, now, it, it only went in last year, so it, it takes about three years until we're actually going to get a decent amount of cones off that. But again, if, if that could produce any sort of, you know, 
slightly upgraded Cascade flavors, um, we'd, we'd be doing well out of that. And um, and then we have a little bit of, um, sorry, it's uh, trying to think, Magnum, sorry, German hop, bittering hop as well, which again, it does, it does actually doesn't grow particularly well here. The Cascade grows really well. Um, and I, I think where it, where it's from, it gets a lot of rainfall, so it's used to that. The big problem that we have in Ireland is the humidity levels. It tends to be damp all the time. Um, so rain it can live with, but it's the dampness that gets it. And again, it, it, it tends to pick up moulds and, and mildews and things like that. Does yeah. do, do the hops need the same kind of weather patterns as, as malt, or are you praying no. for really localised <laughs> no. rain? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like if I could get really localised sunshine on my my 300 square meter um hop garden i'd be delighted with that but then but then raining 200 meters away in the barley field yeah that's what, exactly what you're looking for no they're so, completely they're completely incompatible in terms of, of weather like the the malt needs you know constant sort of rainfall throughout the year and it does need heat later on um, in the year as well but uh, but the hops i kind of feel you know if it was basically dry and sunny the whole time we could irrigate them and we'd be fine but mm-hmm. it's um it's the lack of heat and sunshine it, it's I think to me, it's like if you could grow good grapes or, you know, if you can grow good soft fruits or something like that, you'll grow decent hops. And we did try putting them into into a polytunnel and things like that. And they flew off at the start because they were getting the heat. But then the humidity absolutely killed them in about June or July. Um, I mean, the leaves literally went white with with mildew and that was the end so of that you need like a, a wimbledon style roof that that's exactly what i'm looking for yeah exactly I mean, that's the next investment in terms of uh, in terms of everything yeah we can cover the entire farm like they always said ireland would be an absolutely fantastic cover you know country if you could build a roof over it uh, but you know if we could do that with the farm and and just you know control the weather down to the final degree that'd be that's the way to do it <laughs> Um, so before we started rolling, we were having a little chat about malt and about hops, and we've just spent 15 minutes talking about hops. Um, and you said something that kind of hit home, which was that, you know, ask a beer geek and they could probably tell you hundreds of different varieties of hops, ask them to name two varieties of barley. Um, yeah. And, and they, they'd really struggle. Um, so I'd, lo- I'd love to hear your sort of elevator pitch as to why we should care more about malt uh, in beer and, and maybe give us some barley varieties we can show off about next time. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, probably people probably have heard of Maris Otter or something like that. But, yeah. um, you know, for and, and we we tend to grow, to be honest, we grow whatever the maltsters tell us to grow, because that's what they're going to buy back from us in the first place. We're growing two really good varieties at the minute. One's called Planet. And that's what we're all our beers are made with that. And then we grow Laureate for the distilling side as well. Um, but the breeding that's gone into those varieties over the years has made them you have to you have to keep everyone happy you have to keep the grower happy because we want high yields in terms of of tons of grain per hectare you have to keep the maltsters happy because they have to be able to malt it and then you have to keep the brewers happy as well so it's it's tough for you know for um plant growers to actually get that but for me you know i'm in ireland um we grow really really good malting barley here you know we've been talking about the hops we don't particularly grow great hops here for me so I always kind of feel that if we're if we're producing Irish beer, we grow really good malting barley here. Let's make it about the ingredient that we actually do really well in this country. Um, and you know, there's, obviously, there's a place for hops. Um, lots of people are going to like hoppy beers as well, but surely there's a place for malty beers as well. That um, you know, you get those lovely, smooth, malty flavors. And you know, in terms of nice, refreshing beers, flavorful beers, you can do a lot with malt. You don't have to overload everything with hops. I drove over to the Sonic Drive-In, ordered a jalapeno burger, washed it down with...
as well with like obviously the, the craft beer ch- um, craze was, was had hops at the forefront with IPAs yeah. and paleos and stuff but we are seeing this move towards like people getting more interested in lagers again and a bit of experimentation yeah, yeah, yeah. there and taking influence from you know the German malts and the um, Czech malts to produce lagers with um, so the, there definitely is an interest there but it just seems to be a little bit behind the hops still yeah, I mean, and I think, like, to be fair, like, hops are great, and you can produce so many different and completely wild flavors with hops that you probably, what you can do with malts is probably more subtle and, and probably a narrower range. But something like, you know, we have a, we have a brown ale that uh, I know Johnny's tried. Um, that does surprisingly well for us, I would have to say. Like, it, it's, to me, it's a wildly unsexy beer style, but it's the sort of, <laughs> but it's the sort of beer that people like drinking. And, and there's enough of a, maybe it's a niche, I'm not sure, but there's enough of a market there that people really like buying that beer. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a brewery up in Dublin that's producing a fantastic mild beer, which is selling really well. And it's, it's just a great beer that on a Wednesday evening, if you're not looking for, for something, you know, if you're not looking for a double IPA, um, just a great beer to, to take out and, and have a drink of. Um, the, you know, even, and the likes of our pale ale, it, it's very much a malt forward. Even uh, one of our IPAs is very much a malt forward IPA with, with the, bit, the sort of traditional bitterness in the background as well. But for me, because, and I, I know I'm biased because I do spend probably the guts of two years getting the barley from an empty field through to getting back to brew with. So it is important for me that, that we use our barley to the best way we can. But it is important for me that you can taste those multi flavors in pretty much any beer that we produce. I'm, uh, I'm, I, my listeners will be sick of me mentioning this, but I'm writing a book at the moment <laughs> all about um, seasonality in brewing and drinking. Mm. Um, and a lot of that has involved tying it back to the history. So obviously, because we can now control our fermentations, control the temperatures we serve the beer at, we have central heating. So when it's cold, we don't necessarily reach for a stout. But it used to be that you were completely limited to what was grown in your uh, locality and what time of year it was. Um, and it feels like, you know, there's the joke about the holy trinity of Irish beers being is the pale, the red and the, the stout. Yep. Um, and those are three styles, even the pale ale, because it would have been, you know, a, a, a a, a European pale ale, so it wouldn't have been super hoppy. They all seem very malt-led, so yep. you know, Ireland's climate yep. and ingredients has resulted in that. So I'm not entirely surprised that American brown would stu- still do very well in Ireland. Yeah, and I mean, we do we do a red ale in bottle as well. And again, just the part of the country we are, we're not that far from Kilkenny, which is obviously sort of Smithwick's territory originally. Um, you know, red ale would be a very strong beer type around here. Um, you kind of feel when you get up into, say, the likes of Dublin, that it's it's maybe not trendy enough to do well, but actually it does better than we would expect it to do up in mm-hmm. Dublin because there is enough of a cohort that that wants that style of beer. Um, stouts, obviously, stouts are hard because um, there is obviously one major stout in Ireland that tends to dwarf all competitions, uh, all competitions. So you know it's hard to pitch against that, but um, people are willing to obviously to try stouts, but but they are particularly willing to try red ale or anything else that has that that malt flavour as well, that that malt forward beer style. Is, is Guinness, you know, really like something that's casting a shadow over smaller brewers in terms of doing a dark beer? Because obviously O'Hara's have come out and, and done pretty well, and we yeah, tried the new absolutely. Nitro one out there. So it, it, 
to me, it would seem like an obvious thing for a smaller brewer to do, to be like the alternative to Guinness. But is that not quite how it's seen? In Ireland, I think there is such brand loyalty um, to Guinness and, and there's such um, sort of muscle memory. So if someone walks into a bar, they will, you know, and, and we've had it even with our Red Ale. So we'd go in, we'd, um, we'd give them a sample of the Red Ale. So that's absolutely lovely. And they walk up to the bar and they order a Smithix because that's what <laughs> they've been doing for 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. And Guinness would be exactly the same, probably even more so. Um, what we find actually is when we go abroad, when we're you know at a beer festival abroad or when we're starting to export abroad, that's when um, I suppose people see Irish Brewery, they associate that with Guinness, obviously, and, and with stouts, and they expect that you're going to have a stout in the rain. So we did a festival down in the south of France, um, and we kind of, we said, oh, listen, we better bring a stout just in case, but it was 32 degrees or something like that outside, and everyone that came up, the first thing they asked for was un stout. And, you know, do you have a suit with you? So, you know, it was, it was, it is still a thing that people are going to look for those beer styles. Um, and, I, you know, I suppose it, it's just what we have the name for in this country. And that's, that's what people are looking for. What's funny about what sort of Guinness has achieved with it as well, they've sort of become the brand of, of stout, but also they still have um, acceptance in the craft beer world, which I, I mean, I love it, but you go to craft beer bars, it would be very much against stocking big beer. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. But they're still like, but I'm allowed Guinness, right? And you're like, well, it doesn't really work like that. But <laughs> they, um, I mean, I know like we've dealt with the open gate up in, in, uh, in Guinness before. And, you know, you don't really want to deal with the open gate because they're big beer, but they're such nice people that you kind of feel you, you, you don't mind it. It's, it's all right. Um, yeah. I, and I suppose, again, growing up in Ireland, you kind of, you know, it's probably one of our main exports. There's a certain sense of pride in what they've achieved over, like they've had longer than we have, you know, they've had their 200 and whatever it is years uh, to get to that stage. We're, we're only two and a half years in. So give us another <laughs> 198 years and maybe we'll be at that stage. But, um, you know, the, for me, certainly growing up, I'd have been, I, I would have been bedecked in Guinness. I went to this college over in Scotland and I was probably wearing Guinness uh, merchandise three days out of seven up there. Um, because I suppose it, it's, you know, it, it's a, they've done really well. They've, they put Ireland on the map in terms of, of beer production and, you know, fair play to them for that. But, but certainly now we're trying to compete with them. That's a different story. Um, you know, they're, they're a behemoth and there's no point actually trying to compete with them because, you know, if they want to do, they'll squash you whenever they want to. So, you know, you, you just try and do something a little bit different and, and um, you know, even in terms of our stout, we're again i mean i'd love to i'd love to do an horizon i think they've done a fantastic job with that with that beer and uh you know they, they're going to do really well with it hopefully but um we're not at the stage you know we're, we just don't have the setup that we can produce that style of beer in the brewery here so we produce our you know carbonated stout we put a few different malts in it so there's a bit of crystal malt in there, there's a bit of amber malt in there um because those are the, the malts that we can make from our own um our own barley and so it's giving it a little bit of a different depth of flavor, maybe in terms of the maltiness side. And that's kind of how we're trying to, to differentiate ourselves on the stout side. So you, you mentioned that briefly, what, you know, come back in 198 years and, and see where Ballykill Cavern is. What, what are the ambitions for it? You know, w would the dream be to become almost a, an entirely sort of farmhouse brewery? So brewing was your main business and all the malt you grew was for that? Yeah, I mean, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. I have to, like when I started out knowing nothing about brewing, really, I thought, 
uh, this would be a great way to use all our barley that we produce in the farm. And I discovered that you produce a disturbingly large amount of beer from a small amount of barley. It, it, you know, we were nowhere <laughs> near using all the amount of barley on the farm, which, which kind of was a, bit, it was a bit disappointing in a way. But on the other side of that, then obviously there's plenty of scope for expansion. Um, yeah, I mean, it, as I say, for us, the, the visitor center is coming in now. So people will be able to come in and walk around the farm, see the farm buildings, see the, see the barley crops, see the hop crops. Um, and and then hopefully have a have a taster in in one of the old buildings on the farm afterwards. So you know if we could build up, I think that side of the business is probably going to be quite exciting for us. Um, plenty of scope for expansion in terms of production. Um, you know there are bigger farm sheds that we can that we can expand into if we needed to. For me, and obviously, I mean, I'm not going to be in charge at that stage, but um, I'd love to keep it all on farm if it's all possible. It's, it, for me, it's all about trying to keep the farm alive and and as I said, trying to keep it passing down the generations for as long as possible. Um, we've we've had this history here where every about three or four generations someone goes completely mad and spends huge amounts of money doing some enterprise that then um, then the next three or four generations spend recovering from. So I'm hoping that that's not me, even though it is actually my turn because I've had about two generations in front of me who have been very good. But uh, when people say to me, you know, you're taking a big risk putting the brewery in. I actually think doing nothing was the risky thing. We had to do something because going the way we were going. I'd probably see myself out in terms of, you know, I'd be able to retire, but I don't think the farm would be a, vi a viable option financially to, to pass on to someone else. So what's next, you think, for um, the barley farming? Um, you know, if the, the direction you're moving in is tougher yields and tougher climate, how, uh, how are you going to keep that moving forward? It's a, tricky, it's a tricky one because um, obviously there's nothing we can do about the climate. I mean, again, the breeders are working, I'm sure, on all sorts of solutions and, and drought resistance is probably going to be something they're going to be looking at. Um, it's, but it, it is actually, it's a, it is a tough one to answer because um, if, if the weather continues going like this, are we actually going to be able to produce malting barley on, on this farm? And if we can't produce it, no one else can either because the other soil types that would be, you know, that would be arable crops are going to be heavier than we are. So actually they do well in the summer, but you're not going to be able to get in and get them planted in time um, in the spring. So it's, I mean, you'd hate to see malting barley disappearing from Ireland altogether because it's been a huge part of the farming um, background here, you know, the farming lifestyle here in terms of, of um, providing um, employment and providing, you know, ways of, for farms to make money. Um, I suppose, I just hope that, um, that we're not going to see a, a real uh, problem in terms of climate over the next sort of 10, 20 years, and obviously longer scale than that. But if, yeah, I mean, if we get to the stage where we're getting big, dry summers, we're in trouble in terms of growing it here. I was considering ending the podcast there, but it's such a, it's a dark <laughs> note. A so. <laughs> yeah, that's like something positive to finish on. <laughs> it would have been a good ending, though. <laughs> she just, <laughs> lead, just end the podcast with complete silence. And people can just say like, oh. I mean, as, as a farmer, obviously, I'm, I'm wildly pessimistic. I mean, that's just the standard trait in terms of, of farmers everywhere. I think any, any farmer I've ever known, um, you know, and I, I like being a pessimist because things always turn out better than you think they're going to turn out. Um, but it's... Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we'll, unless, unless things turn really bad. I mean, listen, to be honest, if we're at the stage where we can't grow malting barley, society probably has much bigger problems than the fact that we can't grow malting <laughs> barley. So, um, I, you know, I, I think we'll probably be okay here. And 
plant breeders are exceptionally clever people and resilient people and they will come up with different varieties that are going to do what what as i say what we as farmers need what the monsters need and, and what the the brewers need so i'm confident like i'm confident we'll be able to stay going here um it's it's just going to be something that we have to keep an eye on. And, you know, there's, I tell you, one thing that, that is coming out now is winter sown varieties. So you actually sow them in probably October of the previous year, bring them over the winter and then get them through. So they would mature earlier. They get even longer in the ground. So they get even more time to, um, to get their roots down and to get set up um, in terms of, of producing high yields. So that might be something that we'd look at instead is, is, is maybe switching when we're sowing the crop and, uh, and doing something like that. Like there's always going to be some sort of a solution um, to, to whatever problems we have. It's just, um, it, it's, you know, just coming up with that, that solution. Mm-hmm. Who are the uh, the breeders talking to? Are they working with you? Or are they wa- working with the maltsters? They actually just... generally, yeah, they generally work with the maltsters. So uh, the critical point is, will it make decent malt? And once it makes decent malt, then then they worry about, will it make decent beer? And then they come back to the farmers and say, listen, lads, would you mind growing this? And and, and hopefully it'll produce enough yield for you guys to, to survive on. Um, but it's, yeah, it, the, the critical thing is that it, it's going to go through the malting plant and produce decent malt. So, but it's, it's a multi-year process. I mean, it could be a 10-year process to get a new plant variety out. Um, so it's, it's important for them that they get it right because if they put it out, and it's happened before, you know, we'd get a variety one year and then it'll disappear the next year because it just hasn't performed well. Like we had a variety that did really well in the fields but didn't perform well in the, uh, in the maltings once it got through to them. So, um, you know, they, as I say, they have to keep everyone happy. Yeast infection. Yeast infection. So I've never heard pessimism spun in such an optimistic light. I'm a pessimist so that everything's great all the time is essentially his his view. And I guess as a farmer, with everything that, that farmers have gone through and, and with all the issues that we went through, you'd, you'd probably need to uh, plan for the worst and, and hope for the best. I just love the fact he said that um, if he can't grow barley on his farm, <laughs> we're all fucked. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the barometer of where the global warming's really got us. It's if, if the craft brewers are struggling, hot damn, we're screwed. Um, <laughs> but what a fascinating chat. What a great lad. Um, so nice to sort of hear those stories of like someone who has put his life into, you know, this this farm and then he's just trying to explore different avenues to, to make it work and work with sustainability and make make the best out of what he's got which sounds like it's some of the best milk going yeah it's what i love about doing this podcast and and getting outside of that bubble is you can see people be passionate about stuff that you've never really sort of considered before like i would consider myself really passionate about malt i love multi-beer styles but that's never quite translated into being really excited about just literal barley in fields yeah. Whereas, you know, he could spin a yarn about soil for 10, 15 minutes if he wanted. Um, and so to just have somebody that knows so much about it and to understand the issues of it, because you know, there's all these questions about like, why does crop beer cost so much? Why are certain beers not available at certain times of the year and all this kind of stuff? Um, 
and you know the answers to that doesn't just lie in the brewery it's 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 in the farming of it um, the weather of and, it and as the, well. well yeah exactly yeah it goes all the way back to the goddamn seasons That's... i don't know if you know i'm writing a book about the season <laughs> <No>. um <laughs> so yeah to have that kind of uh insight was was really eye-opening to me and i had no idea that barley crops were so unreliable you know as as a means of making profit and just all the legwork that goes into you know skimming the fields having to plant it's fascinating that you have to plant different plants to stop all the pests or the the pesticides growing in it and just this amount of work that you need to do just to yeah. grow this what we feel is a relatively simple plant yeah that's something yeah it was, it was to to make sure the earthworms and stuff were staying there because they needed to turn over the soil and all this kind of stuff so yeah you have to grow crops to grow crops um it's an entirely new concept to me and he also i like the way he sells his barley to maltsters to buy it back off him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's really lucky to have a big maltster that can sort of keep his batch separate because that's what I was worried about. I was like, are they just selling you back a mix of barley? Are you sure it's yours? But yeah, they've, <laughs> they've got it all set up for that. And and honestly, you know, that brown ale that we talked about was such a lovely beer. Um, and I'm sort of on a multi-kick, like I'm really in love with, with British bitters and milds and stouts and um, porters at the moment. Um, so when I saw that brown ale, I was like, we need to put that in the video. And it was great. And I think, you know, I'd really love to see people be more interested in the malt varieties. Uh, sorry, the barley varieties being grown. That's something I'm going to take away. I'm going to start researching more. All I know is like Maris Otter and then like the heritage varieties, like the Chevaliers and that kind of stuff that are now getting used more. Um, and I'd heard of Planet because I remember thinking that's a weird name for a yeah. barley. Um, but yeah, that's something I need to read up on more but just getting people more excited about malt i you know if i went into a bar and saw a brown ale on the bar a year ago two years ago i'd have been like Ugh. no way but now i'm i'm heading straight for those styles and this podcast has only made me more excited and to think about the provenance of it we always talk about where the hops are from we never talk about you know is that is that an english barley variety is that an english I'm maltster it's what we're very, very good at in this country and in Ireland mm. as well. Um, far better than growing hops, probably. We're world-renowned for um, our barley production. It's become a little bit of an unsung hero in the beer game. But I think, as you say, with these more traditional styles becoming a bit more prevalent in the craft beer community, with brown ales being brewed and stuff like that, it will start to pique people's interest, I think. Um, and it should, because it, it makes such incredible beer. Uh, yeah absolutely and, and hopefully that will then also influence more modern styles as well we'll start to pay a bit more attention to the malts that are going into them um or even you know add certain different malts into it you know something that's wonderful about a west coast ipa is that there is a caramel character to it and we tend to just write off just going oh there's a bit of caramel in that but then we'll go like but also there's simcoe and mosaic at this level of grams per liter and you're like well let's talk about the caramel for a second why why is that in there? What varieties have been used? What's it adding? Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I'm just telling this to myself, essentially. I'm telling <laughs> myself that I've been biased and I need to be better. But hopefully it came through in the, in the podcast as well and everyone else is sat there at home going, I'm going to go buy me a goddamn brown ale. And I do like listening to those stories of, you know, really where the beer is coming from because we so often just focus on the brewing angle and, we're that's what we're interested in and we want to know about the struggles and how the breweries overcome them 
but we're really going back to the first ingredient of the beer really it's the first thing you put in when you're you're mashing in and all the well energies that go into it and then the struggles as well and I mean comes up so often but sustainability and within that global warming and the problems that it's it's creating and the strains it's putting on these producers is a real issue and it will continue to affect beer um he chatted about the yield and supply and demand and how it drives up cost you know this is why the beers we're buying is you know can be so expensive yeah not you know having more of a local feel to craft beer would be great for sustainability um but also great for for um local farms and for to get more sort of beer variation in there to, because you know craft beer is pretty unsustainable we're flying hops in from all over the world um and you know the more that we could drink stuff that means we don't have to do that the more sustainable we can we can be and you know then the more special these beers will seem when we do drink them as well you know the reason i think that we go in these endless circles of craft is because we get bored of incredibly niche special stuff and i think that's a bit of a shame you know um, it would be good to have some more local stuff to reset our palate throughout the year and, and not be bored of 8% beautifully brewed American double IPAs. Yeah, and just getting that seasonal seasonal aspect back to it. I think you mentioned it in the podcast, but, you know, there's there's central heating in every pub, so even in winter, it's, it's 25 degrees inside it. Yeah. So you don't really think of reaching for the... Uh, the warming beer you'll probably still just go for the nice cold pint of pale ale it's on um but there is that seasonality to it which is important which you should know all about at the moment yeah so i hope that's been really interesting for you guys at home um we'd love to hear your views remember every friday uh we have the friday 5 p.m podcast where we go through the video for that week and there'll have been lots of views on the the irish craft beer video that we did but also we'd love to hear your views um about our bubble episodes as well so if you've got a question for us and we can bring rob in if we need to for those episodes uh do just email a question to us craftbeerboys at gmail.com and we will get back to you uh in those friday 5 p.m's uh but that's it from this episode of the bubble we'll be joining you again in a month's time with another exciting episode from the almost beer bubble Bubble and Friday 5pm podcasts are brought to you by the nerds behind YouTube's Craft Beer channel. You can watch over 400 mini documentaries at youtube.com slash the craft beer channel. And if you love what we do, support us via Patreon and get access to merchandise and our amazing Discord forum. A positive and welcoming space for everyone who loves beer, food and homebrewing. Love and beer.